So our reading this evening is from Numbers chapter 1 and some verses at the start and end of that chapter, which is on page 133 in the Church Bibles or 184 in the large print. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count, according to their divisions, all the men in Israel who are 20 years old or more and able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe, each of them the head of his family, is to help you. And the passage goes on and lists all those names. And uh, for the sake of time, and to avoid me struggling to pronounce all those names, uh, and you listening to that uh, will skip it. Uh, it then goes on, I guess the point here is that God is getting involved in the detail. God is naming names here. And from those names, and they're counting with Moses, each of the tribes of Judah then has all of those numbers uh, understood. So we pick up again in verse 44. These were the men, counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family. All the Israelites, twenty years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel's army, were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,550. The ancestral tribes of the Levites, however, was not Levited along with the others. The Lord had said to Moses... You must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who approaches it is to be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, each of them in their own camp under their standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law, so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelite community." The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the covenant law. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Great. Well, good evening, all. It's good to be together. I'm really looking forward to this series of numbers. I don't know if it's a book that uh, you're familiar with. Uh, I suspect it's a book maybe that the sort of big storyline you'll be familiar with, but maybe the detail not so. Um, you'll be pleased to know we're just looking at four chapters tonight, so hopefully we'll be done by about half past ten. So I hope you're not rushing off for things. Um, it's quite a long book, so we have to sort of take relatively big chunks. Um, but of course, we're not going to be looking at every verse by any means. Um, but it's been a... I've sort of wrestled with numbers for quite a few months now, uh, reading it, reflecting on it, working hard on the talks for the next few weeks. So I pray that the series will be a benefit to you as it has been to me. Um, But let me pray as we come to it, uh, because we need God's help to understand it, but more than that, for it to really sink into our hearts and make a difference. And that's what reading the Word of God is meant to be all about. So let's pray. Father, I read those words at the end of our morning service from Psalm 24. Um, Who is the Lord? of glory the lord almighty he is the lord of glory 
Lord, you are the living God who has spoken this word, a word that is timely and timeless, a word that will stand for all of eternity. But as it was written, you knew in your sovereignty that it was a word for us here in Long Crendon tonight. And so I pray as we look at these few chapters together, as we learn from them, that it would be indeed very timely for us uh, to encourage us, to challenge us, to point us to Christ. Please, would you help us as we look at this passage now? Amen. Great. Well, um, if you're here this morning, I sort of introduced the book of Numbers with those three pictures in the middle of the slide on the screen there. Um, it's a funny book. It's a book where there's lots of wandering around in circles. Um, it's a book where there's quite a lot of grumbling on the part of the people of God. Uh, it's a book, in many ways, that illustrates a wasted time. It's a very sad book. Uh, God's people, they're, they're rescued out of Egypt. They're brought into the desert on their journey to the promised land, a land that God has promised them. And it's really sad because that journey really, really shouldn't have taken that long. But we read, as we read through the book of Numbers and, and on, it takes 38 years of just going around in circles, primarily because of the attitude of the hearts of the people of God. And so in many ways, as we come to this um, book together, we need to pray that God would allow these words to act as a warning to us. That's why they're here, at least in part, to warn us against making the same mistakes the Israelites made. Uh, I put that at the top of the screen, don't waste your life. Um, if you were to reflect on kind of what are you doing with your life at the moment in all the different environments that God has placed you and how you're serving him, I pray there's no one here who feels that they're wasting their life because our life is precious and our time that God gives us is not a commodity to be spent so much as um, something to be invested for furthering his kingdom. And so part of the book of Numbers is meant to be a kind of mirror held up to us to warn us not to make the same mistakes as the Israelites make time and time and time again. And it is a sad and depressing book for that reason. But also, if you look at the bottom, the wonderful thing you see all the way through the book of Numbers, despite the disobedience of God's people and the grumbling and the wasted time, you see wonderfully on every page the fact that God is incredibly faithful. Which gives you and me hope, right, when we're unfaithful, when we grumble, when we take our eyes off him. He remains faithful. So let this book be both a mirror that kind of challenges you, but also an encouragement that God will hold you as you journey with him. Not to the promised land of Canaan, but the ultimate promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. Because that's where we're heading as we trust in him. Uh, did any of you see this sort of documentary series on TV? I think it was on, run after Christmas. Um, I love this, and I uh, used to record it on Sunday nights and watch it on my day off. Uh, part of the reason I love it is it kind of appeals to the alpha male in me, the idea of uh, a group of people being taken off to some very wet and cold place and being flogged physically and mentally by some hardened um, SAS soldiers. I kind of like that. It's just me. Um, I know I'm a bit odd. Pete Short might join me, maybe one or two others here, but most of you are more sensible. But at a very basic level, I just love this stuff because it appeals to who God has made me to be. But the thing about this program that actually I'm really intrigued by is what we learn about um, the soldiers' loyalty to one another. Uh, what we learn about trust. In the holiday, I read the biography of this guy, Foxy. And his biography focuses around um, the post-traumatic stress that he faced fighting. And he, he talks about just how terrible war is. And at the moment, I'm reading, uh, this is the main guy, Ant, who's probably the scariest. I'm reading his book at the moment. 
But whilst on holiday, as I was reading the first of those two books, um, something struck me, and I actually put the book down at this point. I was lying on a beach, and I put the book down, just stopped and thought. Um, Foxy said, when you're in the SAS, you will do absolutely anything to accomplish the mission. Such is your loyalty to the cause, to the commanding officer who's leading you. You'll do absolutely anything. And he talked about that commitment. It's why he has run into battle with bullets flying at him and at someone's command, because there's utter commitment to the mission. And the reason I put the book down when I read that is because I thought, what about me in my Christian life? I'm not serving a commanding officer of the army. I'm serving the king who made me. And if these SAS soldiers are prepared to do anything to fulfill their mission, it made me think, am I prepared to do anything to fulfill the mission that God has called me to in being faithful to serving him all the days he gives me life? It was a real challenge. And it got me thinking that I'm not going to be battling like the SAS soldiers in a war zone, but I am going to be battling every day in my Christian life to be obedient to the God who calls me. And I suspect that that's a tension that you feel as well. Being obedient to the God who called us. And yet, do you sometimes feel in life that you're kind of like a hamster on a wheel? Life is just incredibly frantic. It's incredibly fast. Rushing from one thing to the next. We're just busy. We're going to get up on Monday morning and crack on with whatever we've planned to do. But the problem with just rushing ahead in the busyness of our lives is maybe we don't stop enough, pause enough, to actually ask the question, what is God calling me to do with my life? I've got my agenda, but what's his agenda? And am I really listening to his voice? And I've been really battling with that personally over the last few months. What is God saying he wants me to do? How can I be obedient to him? And so I guess that sets a bit of a context of what the book of Numbers is all about and how I hope and pray it will be really useful for us as we journey together. And so the first thing I want us to grasp is this truth. Don't forget that you really matter to God. I don't know if you, you've read through Numbers, and we didn't read through um, all of those names there, but it's, at first reading at least, rather odd. Why this book where we just get this long, long list of names and this long list of numbers as if everyone's just been counted? Kind of what's the point? Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been to the Western Front. Um, I love military history and I've got some family connections in the First World War particularly. So I've been to the Western Front a couple of times and something's really interesting. When you go to some of the massive uh, war cemeteries like Tynecott, I think I believe it's the biggest war cemetery in Europe, uh, mostly American soldiers who are killed there. All the headstones are lined up in long, long rows. You can walk for miles just seeing these names and the ages of these men primarily who were killed. And sometimes when you walk around these war um, cemeteries, uh, built into the ground are these speakers, which just at a, a somber sort of pace just reads the names continuously of the men who were killed in war. And when you walk around and you sit quietly, you just hear this name and another name. And another name. The funny thing is you can sit there for half an hour and you don't get bored. Because you realise in that moment in the scene that every single one of those names really, really mattered. There wasn't some announcement coming from the ground. Lots and lots of people died in the war. There's name after name after name after name that's read. And you can sit there probably for hours just listening because every single name matters. Because these men and women fought or helped with the war effort for our sakes. You take that little picture of those names mattering when you're in a war cemetery and you come to the book of Numbers, it's pretty much the same reason. The names that are recorded here, that 
perhaps feel a bit endless, a bit repetitive, are here to teach us that one truth. Every single one of these names really, really matters. Um, Have a look at chapter 1, verse 2. Take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. And you see it again at the end of verse 18. They were listed by name, one by one. Think about where these people have come from. Enslaved in Egypt, their ancestors before them, or their forebears, been there for 400 years. And this great swathe of people is rescued by this great act of this miraculous act of God, and they're rescued to be traveling to the promised land. Every single one of those people who came out of Egypt mattered to God. And so here when they get to the desert and they're all named and numbered, that's the reason it's here in Numbers, to say to us, each of these people matter. Now maybe you're asking, why on earth did they just name the men? Is it like the men are more important? What's going on there? Well, we're told in chapter 1, verse 4, why they listed the men. One man from each tribe, each of them, the head of his family, is to help you. And so uh, one of the heads of each of the tribes, a man was to come forward and help with this naming and numbering. And then we get, again, a little glimpse in verse 44, if you jump forward. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family. The reason the men were counted is because the men were the heads of the homes who represented everybody else. And it was a really huge project in counting these people. Do you see in chapter 1, verse 46, how many men were counted? 603,550. And these were not just the men, these were the fighting men. I don't think maybe we comprehend just how many people came out of Egypt. There's well over half a million fighting men here. What about the younger men? What about the older men? What about the children? What about the women? Well over a million people came out of Egypt in the great exodus. It was a massive act of deliverance. And yet here, before we rush on to what God is, where God is leading them, he wants them to stop and he wants to count them and name them one by one because of the truth that's on the screen. They really, really matter to God. And before we rush on anymore, I want to ask you that question. Do you realize that that's true for you? Do you realize that you, me, we really, really, really matter to God? And why do we matter to him? We matter to him because we belong to him and because he's got a job for us to do. How were these people who came out of Egypt marked out as those who belonged to him? Do you remember the story? Go back to Exodus chapter 12, the Passover. How were the people of God who were trusting in his promises marked out as different from everyone else in Egypt? Do you remember? A lamb was killed and blood was splattered, painted on the door frames of the houses. These people, the people who belonged to the Lord, were marked out by what? The blood of the lamb. And if you're trusting in Christ tonight, what marks you out as belonging to the God who made you? The blood of the lamb. Not blood painted on your door frame, that would make a bit of a mess. But the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. And as you put your trust in Christ... It's his blood that shows you that you belong to him. You really matter to God because you belong. And more than just belonging to him, you matter to him because he's got a job for you to do. 
Do you notice in chapter 3, and jump forward, we haven't read this together, we're introduced to the Levites. Now the Levites were the priests, they had a task. They were to look after the tabernacle, this was the temporary tent where God symbolically dwelt that was moved around as God's people moved on. It sat right at the heart of the camp, we'll look at that next week. And the Levites were responsible for the tabernacle and all the priestly duties that went with it. We'll come to chapter 3 and let me read from verse 17. These were the names of the sons of Levi, the Levites, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These were the names of the Gershonite clans, Libni and Shimei, the Kohathite clans, Amran, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, and the Merarite clans, Mahili and Mushi. These were the Levite clans according to their families. The point is, here's a specific people who were set aside to serve God. And if you read through chapter 3, each of these different uh, groups, these clans, had a very specific job. Just notice, the Gershonites, what was their job? Chapter 3, verse 25. Their primary responsibility was to look after the tent and the curtain. Look at the Kohathites in chapter 3, verse 31. Their primary responsibility was to look after the ark, the table, the lampstand, and the altar. And look at the Merorites in verse 36. Their primary responsibility was to look after the tent infrastructure, the pegs and the poles. Now don't, don't worry about remembering all of that, let alone pronouncing those names. That detail doesn't matter. The point is, here were a people that were set apart and each of them had a very specific job or task. If you want, you can read through chapter 4 and you'll see the little headings there. Introduces again to these three clans and gives us more detailed instructions of their specific role. Friends, don't forget that you really matter to God. You matter because you belong to him. And if you're trusting in Christ, you'd be marked out as someone who belongs to Christ because of the blood he shed on the cross in your place. But you matter to God more also because he has a job for you to do not the job that the Levites performed but a different job and that job will be dependent on your circumstances your gifting where God has placed you but you do matter to him and how you're going to serve him tomorrow morning really matters to him it's not like God's interested in the pastors who are doing spiritual work and the rest of you guys well just do your jobs to pay for what we do because it's the real work it's rubbish where God has placed you tomorrow morning really, really matters because it's where he's placed you and you really matter to him. Well, if we really matter to God and he has a job for us to do, just let's reflect for a few moments on some of the things that might hinder our service of God. Do you ever find sometimes you forget who you're serving? We wake up in the morning and we just rush into the day. We forget, don't we? Well, what happened to the Israelites? They're rescued out of Egypt. This great exodus, a million plus people. They're journeying towards the promised land. And they forget where they've come from. They forget where they're going. They forget who they are. They forget who they belong to. And because they forget who they're serving, they stop serving. So I want to encourage us not to forget who we are. Perhaps one litmus test to ask yourself in this is, when I say the word church to you, what do you think of? If church to you is an event I attend, that's very, very different to church is the people of God to whom I belong. And our attitude towards this is really, really important, isn't it? 
Is this an event I come to on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning? Or is this the people of God that I belong to? Um, My role before God is to serve these people and to love them as God has loved me. Sometimes we forget where we've come from. We forget where we're going. And so we're not effective in serving our king. Um, Sometimes busyness can be a problem. We've already looked at this, this sort of rat run. We're, We're just rushing around and... You'll know, like I do, when we're rushing around, it's very hard to hear the voice of God. Um, Think about serving. Serving isn't activity. Serving is being where God wants us to be. And we'll be effective in serving God when we are where God wants us to be. But how on earth are we meant to know where God wants us to be if we don't stop to hear his voice? You know, there are times and there are seasons in life and he wants us to serve perhaps in one season in this place, in this way, and then that time and season might change. But if we don't stop and we don't hear his voice, we're never going to know that. I've had a few conversations with um, people in the church here who responded to the ministry gift day in February, uh, wanting to recommit their efforts and their talents and their gifts in serving the church, but as yet don't really know where does God want me to serve. I'm kind of on two teams, three teams, I just want to be somewhere where God wants me. And they're working through this, and it's a really important thing to do. But I'd love you to reflect on how you're serving, not just here in the church, but in life generally. And remember, serving is not just being busy. Serving is about being where God wants you to be. So here's a question to reflect on. Ask yourself, am I listening to God so that I am where he wants me to be and going where he wants me to go? The reason the Israelites got into real trouble in the book of Numbers is because they forgot that. They weren't listening to him. And they weren't where he wanted them to be. And they weren't heading where he wanted them to head. Because they took their hearts and minds off him. And finally, one little application. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I I do slow down and I'm trying to hear from the voice of God. And I, I hear him calling me to do something and it just scares me. I feel insecure. That pushes me out of my comfort zone. He's calling me to a place I don't really want to go. I lack confidence in my own ability. I'm sure that's many here. Do you reckon Israel were feeling pretty much any different? They come out of Egypt and God says, I'm going to take you to this promised land. They're in a desert and they can't really see any land other than sand. I imagine they felt fairly insecure, pretty threatened by the idea of not really knowing where they were to go. And yet, the wonderful truth is, is if we are where God wants us to be, he will equip us for the task that he wants us to do. And so I want to ask us, am I really listening to God so that I'm where he wants me to be and going where he wants me to be? I'd love to encourage you to reflect on that um, through this week. But I'd love you to see too in our passage this wonderful truth that your obedience, my obedience, really, really matters to God. Um, Neil was right when he opened the service to say that at the, book, the heart of the book of Numbers is identity, who am I? But perhaps even at a more fundamental level, the question to ask is not just who am I, but whose am I? In other words, who do I belong to? And again, think of the context of what's going on in Numbers. Who are these people and who do they belong to? This is a people and the generations before that have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years And yet God, through a mighty act of deliverance, brings them out of Egypt to lead them towards the promised land. And they're rescued. But why were they rescued? Well, we read on in our Bibles to the next book, Deuteronomy. Here's a little clue. 
God speaks to his people, having rescued them, and says, For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Why on earth does God tell them that? He tells them that because he wants them to remember who they belong to. They belong to him because he is the one who has rescued them. As you read that verse there, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, or indeed as you read the references to the Lord throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you'll probably know that it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. The Lord. We'll come to chapter 4 and verse 49. At the Lord's command through Moses, each one was assigned his work and told what to do. At the Lord's command. And that's actually repeated as a phrase throughout the first chapters and indeed further on in the book of Numbers. At the Lord's command. Why on earth is that significant? It's because these people belong to the Lord. And so it's his command, his voice, that really, really matters. And there was a reverence to the people of God, the Israelites. It was the reason why this word Yahweh, when written down, was never written down as Yahweh. It was written down with the four consonants, but with the vowels missing. Why? Because there was a a reverence amongst the Jewish people. that They didn't feel they could write the full name of God. Because there was such awe and reverence for who he was. It, the technical name for it is the tetragrammaton. Sounds posh. Tetra is Greek for four. Grammaton, letters. It's the four letters. They couldn't write his full name out because there was such an awe and reverence for who he was. So they just wrote the four letters to represent who he was. The point of all this is that when we remember who God is, this name Yahweh is not just the name of God. Some tyrant out there calling us to be obedient to him. In the context... This is the name of the great rescuing God who has been faithful to his promises. Every time you read the word Lord in your Bibles in capitals, it's this Hebrew word, Yahweh. And it should speak to us of covenant, of promise, of faithfulness. And so throughout the book of Numbers, when we read at the Lord's command, it's not the command of some tyrant God. It's the command of a loving God, the one who has rescued them and the one who's going to take them to the promised land. And so as you think about God, the God who knows you and loves you and has rescued you through Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him, when he calls you to be obedient to him, what's your first reaction? Is it that kind of begrudging, God's told me to do something, I better do it? Or is it the sense, God has told me to do something, and even if I don't want to do it, even if I don't understand it, I'll be obedient. Why? Because of who he is. And because of who I am, I belong to him. See, there's a strong relationship, isn't there, between obedience and relationship. And as God's people were obedient to him, they grew in relationship with him. And as we grow in relationship with God, we want to be obedient. We want to love him. We want to do what he says because we love him. And so to take this whole idea to the New Testament, think of a well-known verse, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do tomorrow morning, whether it's paid employment or anything else, you're not ultimately serving whoever it is you're doing that work for. If you're a Christian, you're ultimately serving him. 
And he's not, oh, the Lord who's told me what to do. He's the Lord who's rescued you, who's given you opportunity tomorrow to serve him. That should excite us. That should thrill our hearts. We'll take the verse for the year, Old Testament, 1 Samuel 12, 24. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your hearts. Why? Consider what great things he has done for you. So here, where God is calling his people to be obedient to him, it's exactly 1 Samuel 12, 24 that's on view. Why is he calling them to be obedient? Because of where they've come from. He's rescued them. And so he says, now I've rescued you, and now you're my people. Will you be obedient to me? The reason you were in Egypt in the first place is because you weren't obedient to me. It's a real challenge for us. And so I want to ask you this question. As you reflect on your obedience really matting to God, ask this yourself this. Am I really moved by what Christ has done for me and motivated to serve him out of a heartfelt thankfulness? Sometimes we can serve God out of guilt. Sometimes we serve God out of a sense of obligation. Perhaps even we serve God thinking that he will be more pleased with us. But the Bible teaches us that really the only motivation for serving God is a response to how he has first served us and friends when we remember who he is and therefore who we are as people who belong to him that gives us a pretty impressive motivation doesn't it to want to serve our king because of where we've come from not Egypt but spiritual slavery just as bad he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves friends that is why our obedience really matters to God And then just as we close, flowing out from that logically, obedience really needs to matter to you. And it really needs to matter to me. Let me show you why. A little bit of a a paper trail here, but just follow through. If you could please turn back to chapter 1 and verse 54. Do you see it there? Chapter 1, verse 54. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded. Jump on to chapter 2, verse 34. So the Israelites did everything the Lord commanded Moses. This is the way they camped under their standards, and this is the way they set out, each of them with their clan and family. Come on to chapter 5, verse 4. The Israelites did so. They sent them outside the camp. They did just as the Lord had instructed Moses. You see, obedience wasn't just something that mattered to God. Obedience became something that mattered to God's people. And today here at Long Crendon, obedience matters to God. The question for us to ask is, does obedience matter to us? But as you follow this through, and we'll come to this later in the book of Numbers, you get this repeated, and they did everything the Lord said, and they did everything the Lord said. Then come with me to chapter 6. At the end of a little section... You get what is called the Aaronic blessing, the prayer that's often prayed maybe at weddings. You might have heard this. Come to chapter 6, verse 22. This gives us a reason to prove to us why our obedience to God really needs to matter, not just to him, but also to us. Chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. 
See, the whole point of obedience is not just that God wants us to be obedient, but that obedience to God ought to matter to us because it leads to blessing. And all the way from Numbers at the beginning through to chapter 6 at this point, we see God instructing his people to be obedient, and they were, and they were, and they were. And what did it result in? Blessing. Of course, blessing doesn't mean comfort. Blessing doesn't mean the easy life. Indeed, if we seek to serve God with faithfulness and wholeheartedness, it will cost us. It might cost us an awful lot. Blessing here is not talking about comfort. It's not talking about an easy life. It's talking about spiritual growth. Just as you're seeing the daffodils come up in the garden at the moment. Blessing, growth, comes through obedience. And so as you look at those words from number six that are on the screen, I want to ask us, is there anyone here who right now, because of the circumstance in your life, you would say, I need to be held? I bet there are many people here who go, yeah, I need to be held. Life's tough right now. Are there many people right now who think, I'm in a situation where I need to know God's grace in a really powerful way? I bet that's most of us. Are there people here who say, I need to know the peace of God? I reckon that most of us need to be held. We need to know grace, the grace of God. We need to experience his peace. And what does this early chapters of the book of Numbers teach us? These things are found through relationship with God. That is why obedience needs to matter to us in the same way that it matters to him. Not obedience for obedience sake, but obedience because obedience and relationship are deeply entwined. And the more that we seek to obey God, the more we grow in relationship with him, the more we love him, and the more that obedience is a great delight in our heart. And of course, it's going God's way, the obedient way that leads to spiritual blessing. Why were God's people in Egypt that first time? Because they disobeyed him and didn't listen to his voice. And what is going to stop these Israelites getting to the promised land? It's going to be disobedience and not hearing his voice. And so my prayer for us as we journey through the book of Numbers together, to come back to where I started, let the book of Numbers be a mirror that warns you, as it is warning me and continues to warn me. Let us not be a disobedient people who stop listening But more than a warning, let's let the book of Numbers be a wonderful thing that thrills our hearts because throughout it, we're going to see the faithfulness of God that grabs hold of an unfaithful people, just like you and me, and never lets us go and takes us to the place that he has promised. That's a wonderful truth to think about, isn't it? And so as we close, those words that are still on the screen, don't forget that you really matter to God. Ask yourself this week, am I really listening to his voice? Am I where he wants me to be? And am I going where he wants me to go? Remember that your obedience really matters to God. Ask yourself, am I moved by all that Christ has done for me? Am I motivated to serve him out of heartfelt thankfulness? And then ask yourself, and does obedience really matter to me? Am I humbled at the feet of my faithful God? who promises to keep me and give me his grace and peace each day as together we journey to the promised land to be with him forever. Shall we pray together? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Lord, we say that we are a people tonight who need to be kept through the challenges and storms of life. We're a people who need to know your grace in every step of every day. We're a people who need to know your peace. And so we thank you that this passage teaches us that it's only through obedience to you that we can experience this spiritual blessing. Because this blessing comes through relationship with you and only when we walk closely with you can we know you. And so we ask that you would convict us for times in our life, perhaps even at the moment when we're not keeping in step with your spirit. Perhaps for times where we're just so busy that we're not stopping to hear your voice. Lord, we want to be people who are where you want us to be. Doing what you want us to do. So please show each of us what that looks like in our life. And please work on our hearts by your spirit. That obedience to you would not be a drudgery or a trial, but a great joy. And that our desire to be obedient to you would be as strong as your desire for us to be obedient to you. Help us to trust, Lord, that your way is the best way. Lead us, we pray, away from the kingdom of darkness, away from spiritual slavery of living for ourselves. And please lead us to the promised land. The land that revolves around the king. The king who created everything. And we thank you tonight for your incredible grace and mercy that you have rescued us just like you rescued the Israelites. And you rescued us for a purpose, to belong to you and to fulfill our purpose, which is to bring glory to your name and to share your wonderful love with a lost and broken world. Please, Father, would you continue to speak into our hearts tonight and please help us as we continue to journey through numbers together in the following days. Amen.